kids. I have a daughter who is 19, who's uh, going to be a sophomore in college. Uh, her name is Ellie. Her name is actually Eliana, uh, but her, Ellie. And then I have another daughter who's just about to turn 16, who's going to be a sophomore. Her name is Raya. Uh, middle name is Rain, after uh, Joel 2:23 and 24, about end time harvest. Anyways, uh, Raya Rain. <laughs> Raya is Hebrew for friend of God. And then my son, I have a son who just turns 13 this month. Uh, he's going to be a 13-year-old man. It's amazing. And uh, his name is Lake. He's actually named after John G. Lake, who is an uh, uh, early 1900s preacher. And uh, his name is actually Wesley Asa Lake Leapshur because um, we had a guy. My middle name is Wesley, and I've always wanted my son to have at least part of my name. And, and then before he was born, we didn't even know he was a boy. Uh, somebody came up and said, uh, um, well, well, when we were praying into him, we knew that our next, we really felt like this next child was going to have this apostolic healer anointing on him. So before we even knew it was a boy, uh, somebody comes up and says, hey, uh, I was in the shower this morning, a youth pastor friend of mine. I was in the shower and the Lord told me that you're going to have a boy and his name is Asa. And I was like, mm, well, we don't know if we're having a boy and if we do, I'm not naming him Asa. <laughs> and then... Um, and so he's like, all right, whatever. So we find out we're having a boy. And so my daughter, her name is Eliana, which is Hebrew for, uh, for my God has answered me. And it's a feminine form of Elijah. Raya is Hebrew for friend of God. And then so we go, we find out we're having a boy. And we're like, maybe we should find out what it means. And it's Hebrew, Asa, what Asa means. It's Hebrew and it means healer. So I was like, well, I guess we're naming him Asa. So we, we just threw it all in there. Wesley Asa Lake Leapshire, wall. Uh, um, that's his name. All of my kids, they said I have, they preach long here. All of my kids have uh, really prophetic names that mean something like rain is off of a prophetic word that my daughter in the womb got, which rainstorm of glory you'll be poured out for an end time harvest, Joel 2, 23 and 24, the latter rain. So, so all of our kids have these really powerfully prophetic, meaningful names, mainly because my name uh, isn't powerfully prophetic, but, but I thought it was. So when I was growing up, Liebscher is, um, my parents are, were like, well, Liebscher means lover. Lieb in German is love. And so my parents, all growing up, they're like, our last name means lover. And I'm like, that's awesome. That's amazing. I let all the ladies know in high school. I'm like, hey, you know, last name's lover. And then, and then in the 90s, like when the prophetic movement was just hitting, everything was prophetic. And I'm like, uh, lover, this is amazing. And then in sixth grade, So from sixth grade on, I'm like, I couldn't, God couldn't have named me better. <laughs> Strong warrior, great protector, lover. This is incredible. Thank you, Jesus, for your foresight in my life. And then uh, when we're about to have our second, second child, I'm, we're looking at baby books, baby name books, and I'm at, I'm in the mall, there used to be in Reading, where I'm in the mall at a bookstore, and I'm, there, there's like, a, you know, one of those racks that kind of turn like this, and I find a baby name book, and I'm looking through it, and it's got my name, and, and I'm like, yes, like, finally, like, physical proof of how great I really am, and, uh, and I look at Banning, and it doesn't mean strong, it doesn't mean strong warrior, great protector, it's Irish, and it means small, fair one. 
Like I was, I had a moment in the bookstore where like, I'm like, what is like, my world is kind of coming around me. I had these mixed emotions of like, I was so angry at that sixth grade mom and it just kind of devastated that my name is like little dorky guy in Irish. And, oh, but I kind of pulled myself back up. I'm like, that's all right. You still got Leapster. That's cool, right? Lover is cool. It's still got a good last name. And I am not making this up. About three months later, a guy from Germany is at our church. And my friend's in the back with him. And he goes, he says, um, he says, hey, my, my friend Barney, his last name's Liebscher, and it means lover in German. And the guy from Germany goes. No, no, it doesn't mean lover. And my friend goes, oh, well, what does it mean? And he goes, I think it means love handles. which definitely has become more prophetic in my 40s. But so I, I went from strong warrior, grip protector, lover to small, fair one, love handles. <laughs> so I have committed any child that comes from me is going to have a powerfully prophetic name that they can prove. <laughs> That's what I've decided. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 17, John chapter 17. If you... Um, I have a real passion for people to uh, be healthy and bear fruit in their life. So I'm convinced that John 15 uh, gives us a mandate. Wherever you're at in life, whatever you're doing, you're called to bear fruit. You're called to bear a lot of fruit, and you're called to bear fruit that remains. So you are to be a fruit-bearing individual, and, and fruit-bearing individuals are those that are healthy. So if you're going to be making a difference for God... It's important that we become whole, healthy individuals. And so we, we go after that. Well, I want you to be thriving. I want you to be healthy. I want you to be bearing fruit. I want you to be experiencing freedom. And so because of that, if you're around our environment at our church or whatever else, you'll see that we're constantly pointing people to kind of three areas because I believe that healthy people, healthy believers are planted in three soils, that they are planted in the soil of his presence that they are planted in the soil of his word and they are planted in the soil of his family or community. <clears throat> and so this is what we're trying to constantly get people towards. I want to get you into the presence of God. I want to get you into the word of God. And I want to get you into the family of God, the community of God. Because when, you, when, you're, when you're intentional and deliberate about planting yourself there, then, um, then that's when health begins to come. That's when you, you thrive. That's when fruit comes. And I will tell you this, that we have to become a lot more intentional than we are. Sometimes, and, and I don't just say this just about charismatic circles, but we're very passionate, we're very excited, we're just not always strategic or intentional. So it's like I'm excited, I'm not intentional, I'm passionate, I'm not strategic. And just because you're excited about being an individual who changes the world, just because you're excited about being an individual who experiences freedom or bears fruit in your life or is thriving, uh, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. There also has to be some intentionality connected to it and some strategy connected to it. My son years ago, uh, he was probably six years old. The most com my son is the most competitive individual I've ever met. I mean, there, everything's a game. There is a winner and a loser. He hates losing. If he loses, he figures out a way to cheat, to somehow win. And even in school, his teachers are like, dude, the kid's a good kid. We love having him. But he's, but he's always trying to be the first one done. So we're not sure he's getting his work done properly because he's just constantly trying to beat everybody when he takes a test. And I'm sitting there going like, I honestly don't see a problem with that. Like, what are you talking about? That sounds great. My son's a winner. 
and, and, and this, is, this is the truth. I picked him up from school a few years ago, and he had a math test. And, and I said, hey, son, I was walking him out to the car. Hey, you had a math test today. How'd you do? He goes, I don't know, but I was done first. <laughs> did, you get, did, you, did you do good on it? He goes, I don't know, but I was done first. And I was like, right on, son. Leapsers win. That's what we do. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so about a, a while ago, about, uh, um, let me change this real quick, about six years ago when he was six, uh, I was sitting around, and we randomly at our house have like just, we decide to get a game, and then we put it on the table, and we randomly play it, so we're like on Uno spin right now, but I was, um, I found Yahtzee, and so I'm like, oh, I want to teach my kids Yahtzee, so I get all my kids around, I'm like, all right, kids, come here, I'm going to teach you the game of Yahtzee, and so I kind of teach him, my son's six, we're kind of teaching him, and then we start playing it every night, but every time we'd play it, Lake, would, it would come around to him, he'd roll, and he'd always want to go for Yahtzee. Nothing else. Not three of a kind, not full house. He'd always want to go for Yahtzee. And finally, I'm like, son, listen, there's a strategy to the game. Like, you've got to think ahead a little bit. You've got, you got to think through this thing. You've got, to, you've got to plan things out. And he just would say, uh-huh, uh, okay. And then, and then we'd go to him, what are you doing? Yahtzee. <laughs> every single roll, he would just be like, Yahtzee, and roll for a Yahtzee every time. He never won a game, ever. And this is what I feel like sometimes in the church. We can walk around being, you know, yelling stuff. Just because just you're passionate about bearing fruit doesn't mean you're going to bear fruit. I want you to be passionate, right? I'm a passionate guy. I, I'm an intense guy. I love all that stuff. But, but you can't just be passionate about something. You also have to be intentional about something. You can't just be excited about something. You also have to be strategic about something. And I would say in your maturity, in your growth as an individual, and God is interested in maturing your life, he wants you to grow. He wants you to mature. The whole concept of sanctification is a maturing process that happens in your life. He wants you to grow. He wants you to become mature. He wants you to thrive. He wants you to be healthy. He wants you to bear fruit. It takes intentionality. And that's why I'm saying those three things we go after hard. Get into the presence of God, get into the word of God, and get into the community and the family of God. Let me talk about family this morning. Let me talk about community because this is a big one. We don't even know sometimes how countercultural this issue of community is in the Western church. Should I back up? Am I fine? We good? I, I know I'm probably getting in front of the speakers, but... John chapter 17, let me read this. This is, this is you know, the, probably the most famous prayer that Jesus prays, uh, uh, maybe outside of what we call the Lord's Prayer. But this is the, the last thing that he's doing before he's about to ascend. This is his final prayer. He's kind of wrapping things up. And, and so these are important words, you know. I, I mean, all of the words of Jesus are important, but this is his kind of closing statement on his way out. And listen to this in John chapter 17, verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's all of us. So he says, I don't just pray for just these disciples, but from these disciples, there's going to be a whole lineage that comes that believe because of the word. That's us. So he's praying for us in that moment. And here's what he's praying, that they all may be one as you father are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, I've given them. Here's, here it is. Listen to this again. That they may be one, just as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may be being perfect in one. You get the theme here? And the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. 
John 17 is a prayer for community. I mean, John 17 prays for us that we would be one, that we'd be in communion with one another, that we would have community the same way that he has connected the Father, the same way that the Trinity is connected, that the body of Christ would be connected as one. It, it, is, a, it is a prayer of oneness. And one of the things that we don't realize is that there is a war against community. I mean, I don't want to be dramatic, but the enemy has, has a full assault in your life against community, and it's one of the reasons why independence and isolation are such killers for believers. The enemy works overtime to get you independent, and he works overtime to get you isolated, because isolation is a killer for believers. I don't know if you've ever had anything that happens in your life that seems kind of silly or, or kind of like, you know, not that big a deal at the time, but then you look back and think, I think God was trying to speak to me. This happened to me when I was a youth pastor. When I first started youth pastoring, I didn't know what I was doing at all. Like I, so we literally just kind of sat around all day long in the office like, I don't know, what are we going to do? I had, no, I had no idea what to do. So I was pretty bored, and I went and bought a 55-gallon fish tank. So I got a 55-gallon fish tank, stuck it right behind my desk, and then I, we have these two fish, these severums in there, these big fish. But I was kind of watching them, and I'm like, these fish are boring. So I went down to the fish store, and I said, hey, listen, I got these two fish, but they're pretty boring. Do you have any colorful fish that school together? I just want to see fish that would, like, all swim in a school. That kind of sounds fun. And so they're like, okay. And they got me these fish. They're about this big, 10 of them. And, uh, and I said, I've got these other big fish. Are they going to bother them? They said, no, nah, they'll leave them alone. So I stick these 10 fish in. It was great. I mean, for months, you know, these kind of fish just swam around in a school. And then one day I was sitting there. I mean, I, again, at the time, I just think whatever. But I, I'm watching these fish. And they're, out of the 10 fish, one of them is off wandering by himself, not with the school. And I kind of noticed it. I'm like, that's weird. Nine are schooling together and one's off on his own. There's the two big ones. Nine together, one off on its own. I go home that night. I come back the next morning, and there was only nine fish. That day, the next day, I'm watching nine fish, and I notice that one of them's not swimming with the group. It's swimming by itself. I come in the next day, eight fish. I'm watching the fish that day. The next day, eight fish are swimming. One's not in the group. The next day, I come in, seven fish. This happened. (laughs) This happened. Until there'd be five fish, one would not be swimming with the group. Next day, I'd come in there before. Four, not one, until finally there was no more, <laughs> except for those two big guys. There was no more of the school of fish. Isolation is a killer. It, it is true. The enemy's trying to get you off because when, when I'm in community, this is where, this is where God does his, his best work in my life. I think what we have to understand, though, is, is that community is, is, is a choice you have to make. Especially, can I say this in the Northeast, it's a choice you have to make. Now, again, I think in the Western culture, we have to be very deliberate about it. But, but I would say, it's very interesting, there's a book, um, a, a, lady, a YWAM missionary wrote a book called From Foreign to Familiar. And it's actually a study on the differences between warm climate cultures and cold climate cultures. She's talking about the difference between Norway and Chile, the difference between Boston and Atlanta. And she talks about that in cold climate cultures, they tend to be, 
very um, independent, individualistic, very task-driven, like get to the point, tell the truth. Warm, cli- warm climate cultures are very communal, are not as task-driven, are, are not independent. Uh, they beat around the bush. They don't get straight to the point, uh, these communal things. And uh, she just talked about the differences between these things. And, you know, she, she even talked about that she was in Norway one. No, she was somewhere up in one of those countries in Norway or something. And she was headed to Chile. And she knew I better get all my work done in Norway because when I get to Chile, it'll be a lot harder to get my work done because there's people around you all the time. And sure enough, she gets to Chile and she shares a story where the host family brings her into her room and she notices a mattress on the ground next to her bed. And the host family says, um, uh, because they're like, we would never, we would never put you in a room where you're by yourself. We would never offend you like that. So we've asked somebody to come in and stay with you the whole time. Like Northeast, can you think of anything worse than that? I'm like, dear God, you know? They say in some African tribes, they don't have personal possessive pronouns, so they don't have a word for my. So in some African tribes, they don't have a word that says, this is my iPhone. They only have a word that says, this is our iPhone. And this isn't our iPhone, right? This is my iPhone. <laughs> but, but they don't have, they don't have, I mean, there are some, some of those warm climate cultures, they don't even have those, like, this is mine. They don't even have that type of word. I was talking to a friend, a missionary who went to Kenya, lived there for a while, married a Kenyan. And I asked him, I said, hey, what's, the, what's one of the big differences you notice in cultures? He said, oh, he goes, it's so interesting. He goes, things are so much slower because they're so relational based. He says, if I walk to the store and it's a 10-minute walk, I will plan an hour and a half because you would never walk by somebody that you know and not stop and talk for 10 or 15 minutes. I, I, I can't even like, like I'm on the phone and just head nod. If you get a head nod from me, we're close. You know, I'm like stopping and talking for 10 or 15 minutes. That's insane. I'm going somewhere. He said that literally, he said they would go to a bank, a place of business where you're doing transactions and getting things done. He said they would be lined up, and if there was somebody in the front of the line that was friends with the teller, they might just pull aside and sit down and start talking and catch up, and everybody in line knows, oh, they're catching up, we'll, call, we'll come back later. So again, it may be that we're just in such an individualistic society, such an individualistic community, that we have to understand very clearly that community is a deliberate choice we have to make. It is a countercultural choice we have to make. It is an upstream choice we have to make. And and therefore, I better be pretty strategic about it because I'm not sure we fall into it. Maybe some are a little bit more wired for that stuff, but... But I'm just telling you, it's a choice you have to make, and and it's a deliberate choice, and it's a hard choice. But what we understand is that Christianity is a communal concept, and that independence and Christianity just do not mix. They don't mix. I think that, that if we understand this, that Christianity works within the context of community. I think that when you read Scripture... We still come from it from a Western standpoint where we read it very individualistic. So, so what happens is, is um, there's a book called The Blue Parakeet. 
And the blue parakeet is written by a guy named Scott McKnight, and it's on how to read your Bible. I don't want to get into the book, but, but what he talks about is, is, is that the story of Scripture, we think the story of Scripture is, uh, you know, is creation, fall, um, individual redemption to God. But that's not the story of Scripture. You have to tear a lot of Scripture out to get to that point. The story of Scripture, his, he says, the point he makes is that, that it's creation, fall, finding redemption in community, finding redemption in God. And that Christianity was always meant to sit in the context of community. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to this verse, but, but listen to 1 Peter 5.5. 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So, so the Bible says, listen, you're, you're to be submitted to elders, to covering. You're also be to, submitted to one another in community. He says, when you do that, it's an act of humility, and God gives grace to the humble, and he resists the proud. In other words, when, when you have embraced community, you gain access to things because Christianity is meant to sit in the context of community. So it's a little bit like... Um, uh, when we grew up, when I, where I grew up in Reading, we have lakes, big, you know, nobody cares outside of Reading about this, but the largest man-made lake in the nation is in Reading. Okay. Uh, <laughs> second largest concrete gravity dam is in nation, in Reading, but so it's a large lake, 365 miles of shoreline and, uh, it's got five fingers and okay. So, uh, but we grew up learning how to drive boats. So either you had a boat or a friend had a boat. And when you become a teenager, uh, somebody teaches you how to drive a boat. And so my friend's dad taught us. And, and one of the first things they tell you when you're driving like a ski boat is they say, do not start this boat out of water. Don't start the boat out of water. Because if you start the boat out of the water, the engine will overheat and fry. Because a boat was manufactured or a boat was created to sit in water because when it's in water it draws that water up and it pushes it through the engines to cool the engine so that boat doesn't work properly when it's not sitting in the context of water because it's in the context of water that it gets the very thing it needs to work properly Whenever I try to start that boat in a driveway or on a dock, it's going, to, it's going to overheat and get fried immediately because it wasn't created to start outside of water. Your life as a believer was created to sit in the context of community. And when I am not in the context of community, I am not able to draw the very things I need into my life to be successful, to thrive, to be healthy, to, to operate as God called me to operate. And I can say, I mean, the amount of people I get around that they're just fried. I don't know what's going on. Well, yeah, you, you got, you're not sitting in water. You're sitting on a driveway somewhere wondering why you're fried. Why things aren't going that well. Why you're burnt out. Because you're not sitting in the context of community. And I will tell you this. And I'm going to give you some practical pointers. But, but uh, this is not like just the latest fad. 
We're not, this is not stuff we're preaching because we're like, hey, listen, this is what millennials want. Millennials want like a coffee shop vibe kind of church. They want to do small groups. Like, listen, this isn't the latest fad. This is what, this is how God intended it from the beginning. Like this is, this is, this is a really, really big deal to God. And, and what I really need you to get is community is a really, really big deal to God. Really, this is not just an answer to a cry of a generation. This is God's heart in a massive way. And when I'm talking community, I'm talking that, that my life is connected to his life. She's connected to me. That her walls are down, my walls are down. Intimacy is able to flow. Vulnerability and strength are able to flow. And when, there, and when there's not community, her walls are up, my walls are up, and nothing can flow back and forth. And it is such a big deal it is such a big deal. Let, let me read this verse. Can I read this verse to you? In, in Matthew, I can't. I always love when preachers ask. Can I do that? If somebody said no, I would. I want to yell no every once in a while when preachers do that. Can I read this verse to you? No. I'd like you to speed it up. Lingered on the point too long. Matthew 5, 23 says this. This is talking about communion. This is talking about me bringing my gift of communion to God. It's talking about my relationship with him. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Okay, listen to the mind-boggling statement this is. God says, hey, if you come to me in communion, but you have a disconnect with a brother... I want you to put this on hold until that gets fixed. That's a big deal. God's not like, hey, let's continue this. We'll deal with that later. He's like, no, 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 hold on a second. Community is such a big deal to me that I want this to be put on hold until you fix that disconnect. This should be sobering to us that Jesus stops us from coming to him with a gift until we have reconciled and make sure that we have community in our life with no walls up. This should be sobering for us. And one of the things I've realized is, is, is that community is messy, it's hard, it's confusing, it's hurtful, it, it's, it's, it's slow, but, but it works. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, if you choose community, you find a healthy, thriving, vibrant, fruit-bearing life in a way that you would have never experienced any other way, even in the midst of how messy and hard it can be sometimes. Community just flat out works. And when, and when I disconnect from community, I'm disconnecting from some things that I need in my life. Let me give you a list of those. First one is this, grace. We read this before, but it says, submit yourselves to your elders, submit yourselves to one another, and be clothed in humility, for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. There's something about when I submit my life into community that, that uh, grace begins to flow in a way that it hasn't before. I mean, a lot of people in my life who, you know, sometimes this concept, you know, it's funny, I, people were like, man, I just feel resistance. I just feel like the devil is resisting me. I just can't seem to get momentum. I just can't seem to get traction. It feels like there's a hand on my forehead holding me back. And, I, that, that, and, and I'm just like, hey, that's not the devil resisting you. That's God resisting you. You know that hand on your forehead? <laughs> that's God. 
Because you refuse to humble yourself and get in community. And because of that, there's no grace in your life. And listen, so it's that thing where, have you ever been, um, I try to take my kids when I travel, and then if I have a day off or something, we'll go to somewhere. I took my son to a water park, and anytime we go to these big water parks, they have the lazy river that just kind of goes around the water park. Do you know about that? And it's just, it's just this current river, and I don't know why. He loves it. It's what he loves most. And he gets in, and he's totally sliding along, letting it push in him, and he's swimming, and he's having a blast. But, but you know, it's, 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 a different, it's a different situation whenever, you know, I might get ahead of him, or he might get ahead of me just having a fun. But he, when he tries to get back to me, like, it's a struggle going against that thing. It's a struggle going against that stream. It's not quite as fun, not as easy. It's a lot more work. And there's something about when I refuse to humble myself, and community is a humbling experience, I, I, am, I am going against the flow of grace. But when I humble myself, the very thing that was resisting me, when I humble myself, I turn, and the very thing that was resisting me is now propelling me. What was hard now becomes easy simply because there's grace in my life. I want grace to flow in your life. I don't want, uh, listen, I, I mean, I'd rather have a thousand demons in hell resisting me than God. Like the one person you don't want resisting you is God. Can we all be clear on that point? Right? Not a good plan in life to have God. But he comes and says, I have to resist the pride that is manifesting in your heart because you refuse to humble yourself and allow people into your life. Grace. When I, when I disconnect from community, I am disconnecting from the very grace that I need to be empowered to live the life that God's called me to. Second thing is this, strength. Or strength. Proverbs 13, 20 says this, he who walks with wise men will be wise. In, that, in other words, if, if, if there's a wise man and I walk with him, his strength becomes my strength. His strength becomes my strength. It's amazing to me how many people have decided to do life on their own. And because of that, they've disconnected themselves from the very strength they need, the very wisdom they need. The, the strength of wisdom is missing in their life because they've decided to do it on their own. I remember sitting down with a, a friend in my office, and, and, and uh, he was... And he sat down with me, and he said, hey, Banning, we're about to lose our home. I said, whoa, how long have you been dealing with financial issues? He said, about two years. I said, have you talked to anybody about it? He said, no, no, we just thought we should figure it out on our own. And now we're here. The, the, problem, the problem with that, right, is, is, is that when, I, when I'm on my own, and I'm just going to figure it out on my own, that if I can come and submit my finances to somebody and walk with somebody, I, I, honestly, the problem was, I'm like, listen, there's a guy over there, his name's Charlie. He has a gift of wisdom for finances. He has experience in finances. I can actually bring my life and submit my finances to him, and his strength becomes my strength. You surprised how many people are trying to do marriage on their own, trying to do finances on their own, trying to get breakthrough on their own, because they just think we just got to figure it out. It's somehow like a sign of weakness if you need people. You know, it's somehow like, 
and, and the problem is, is we just get to a place where we're just relying on our own expertise, our own wisdom, our own guidance. It's just us. I got a phone call, this is years ago now, but from a pretty well-known worship leader at the time and a, and a pretty well-known pastor. She called me and said, hey, Benny, I just need to let you know that we're, uh, we're, we're going to get a divorce. And I just said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, what's going on? She said, we've just been struggling for quite a while. And I said, have you, have you brought your marriage to anybody? Is there anybody that you brought your marriage to and submitted it to? She said, no. And uh, we've just been figuring out. And she said this. She said, um, she said, you know, we've given it our best, but it's just not working out. And I hung up the phone with her, and I was maybe married 10 years at that time. And, and again, I don't want to be dramatic about this statement, but I really believe this. And I thought about my own marriage and the health in my marriage or whatever else. And I thought, you know, what's interesting is in my own marriage, I'm not sure we'd still be married if I just gave it my best. If I just gave it my best, I really am not sure we'd, we'd still be married. Because, because you know, and, and I, don't, I don't think there's any area of my life, my best is not good enough. And, and when I stand before God one day, I'm not going to be able to go like, hey, God, I gave him my best. He's like, I didn't just want you to give it your best. I stuck you in a family of people. And I required you to go get their best and bring it into your marriage. It's not just me giving it my best. And can I tell you this? There's not one area of my life that is marked by any level of health or success or fruit that has not been the best of others being poured into it. I can't think of one area where parenting, marriage, ministry, finances, personal life, go down the list. Any list, any area that's healthy, doing well, is not just because I've given it my best, because I went out and got the best of other people and brought it into that. And I got to go get the best of others and I got to bring it in. I, so, so we're not meant to do marriage by ourselves. We're not meant to do finances by ourselves. We're not meant to, to make decisions by ourselves. Do you know that this concept that is just me and Jesus, we have this American concept, guys. And listen, it's, it's just like, it's just me and Jesus. It's just me. It's not just you and Jesus. Can we just clear this one up? And can I tell you this, that we have statements that they're cute. I don't know if you've seen like the little bumper stickers, you plus Jesus equals the majority. Have you seen that? Boy, you guys are, you guys are liberal up here. <laughs> so they have like little bookmarks and it's just, it's just Jesus, the plus sign you equals sign a majority. Here's the problem. It sounds great. It's just not biblical. Right, it's just me and Jesus. Listen, Jesus is absolutely the only one you need for salvation. Absolute truth. There is nothing added you need. Jesus, Jesus alone for salvation and the forgiveness of sins. But the minute you walk through that door called salvation, he goes, welcome to a family, get connected. And nowhere in scripture does he say, Izzy, it's just me and you, you don't need anybody else, don't even worry about it. Nowhere in scripture does it go, it's just me and you. I'm it, you don't need anybody else. In fact, it's the opposite of that. 
He's like, you can't say you love your bro- you hate your brother and love me. Doesn't work like that. Like he's consistently tying in that how you love other people and your connection with other people is very connected to this. He's never like, it's just you and me. It doesn't, all of those other people don't even matter. How you interact with them, whether you're connected to them, because all you need is me and that's all you need. So we have to get out of this thing. And quite frankly, man, people make decisions just, well, I prayed about it. And this is what Jesus told me, and so I'm going to go do it. But I'm just telling you guys, it doesn't work like that biblically. Do you know that even the prophetic sits inside of of community? Do you know, this is a word from the Lord to a prophet. And they said, when somebody prophesies, let two or three judge it. So community gets to get involved. Oh, and then we hate this, right? I'm like, no, I heard from the Lord, like the Lord spoke to me about this. Okay, well, let's bring it into community and let's see what community judges. So, so God, God even says that prophetic word is a, it needs to be brought into community and it is biblically legal to have even what I feel the Lord told me judged and weighed by community. Okay, are you with me on this? That's why sometimes when people come to my office and they they have that like, well, you know, God told me this. I'm like, that's great. And I actually don't not believe you. Let's get some community around it and see what happens. You can just tell, right? That feels like, oh gosh, that feels like I am, like I, we just have so much independence in us, we don't even realize it. Safety, what time is it? Grace, strength, safety is found in community. So again, when I disconnect from community, I don't want to bring my marriage into community. I don't want to bring my finances in community. Well, well one, I'm missing strength and grace. There's a lot of wisdom out there. there I, guys, I'm telling you, I am on the phone all the time with people getting wisdom from them. All the time about every area. But the other thing is, is, is when, when, when we disconnect from community, we're disconnecting from safety. Listen to Proverbs, Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they're established. Proverbs 24, 6, for by wise counsel, you will wage your own war, and in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. So in other words, any decision I make in community is a safe decision. Any decision I make outside of community is an unsafe decision. It's that when I bring counselors around me and and I make decisions with counselors, there's safety in that. And and it's not just, again, the... This can be very countercultural because we are very, very independent. And I would probably even say the Northeast is maybe the worst. And, and I, I'm not saying that. I'm just honestly, you guys, the culture of the Northeast is extremely independent, right? And therefore, we have to go in the opposite spirit because it is not, it is not bearing good fruit in the lives of people. They're making unsafe decisions. They are not healthy. So the church has to go in the opposite spirit of this thing. 
that says we've embraced the hard choice of community, but is even around this thing, that if I want counselors in my life, I, I, the Bible says that I'm to submit to elders and I'm to submit to others. So I'm to submit to covering and I'm to submit to community. Now listen, this, I read this about submitting, right? Likewise, you're in 1 Peter 5, 5. You know what that word submit means? Listen to this word. The Hebrew word, I'm not even going to tell you what it is. Hupotasso. I went to school. Hupotasso. <laughs> submission. Listen to what the, this Greek word submission means. Arrange under to subordinate. To subject, put and subject him. To put, subject oneself, obey. To submit to one's control. To yield to one's admonition or advice. To obey or be subject. Now listen, this is a choice you make. Nobody can control you on this. Nobody controls me. Nobody forces me to do this. I mean this. When I submit my life to people, I am not doing it out of guilt, shame, obligation, or pressure. I'm not. I am submitting my life because I understand that the grace and the power when I submit my life is how I want to live. Therefore, when I look at these, we, we just cringe at this. To submit to one's control, to yield to one's admonition or advice. That is not a scary thing for me because I am choosing to do that. Somebody is not coming and taking that from me. I'm giving that. Okay, are you with me on that? So we've got to give that. But this is how intense it is. Sometimes we've got counselors in our life that we weigh and decide what we're going to do, but we're still going to, we're still going to do what we're going to do. It's like I go, I get some advice from people, then I figure out if I want to listen to it or not. If I believe that God has called me, and he has, to submit my life... I don't submit my life and get advice and, and, and counsel from people and then weigh it. I do it. I, I really do. I mean, I, and, and listen, guys, I, I'm 42 years old. I, I, you know, I'm a senior pastor. I've got a kid in college. My wife and I have committed to this type of lifestyle. We submit things to people. We submit them to people. Should we move? We submit it to people. Should we buy a house? We submit it to people. My, people know my finances. My finances. We have submitted to somebody. He knows all of my finances. He knows where, where we've messed up. He knows our debt. He knows, our, he knows where we spend money. He knows our finances. Because I've submitted my finances to somebody because I want his strength and wisdom in my life. And when I come to him, and I did, uh, we, we come to him and I ask him advice about stuff, I don't kind of like decide whether I want to listen to him or not listen to him. I submit. And it's a choice I make. He doesn't make it. He has no actual control over me. I'm still in control of my own life. I just recognize there is so much benefit to me laying down my independence and bringing my finances bringing my marriage, bringing my whatever it is. I will say this, that many people, be, some, of the, some, of the, uh, some of the danger that comes in not submitting to community with your decisions is the issue of timing. One of the things I found is this, is that I'm actually really good at hearing God. Like, I, in fact, most of the people I talk to, I actually don't think they're not hearing God. I think what they have messed up is timing. And I found in my own life that it's the issue of timing where I get in danger. Yeah. 
It's like, well, I've heard from God. I think it should be now. But, but, and that's, and, and most of the things, if you look at your life, where did I mess up there? Where did I get in trouble there? It was mainly always around timing. And so I found that the, the timing of community, the speed of community, which is always, always slower than I want it to be, always slower. One of the things that drives me crazy about communities is it's so stinking slow. But I have found that when I submit my, when I submit myself to community, that rhythm, that pace of community is the pace that God wants for me. And I will tell you this, many times I've submitted and gotten counsel, and I will tell you this, sometimes we're so afraid, what if they give us wrong counsel? What if they tell us to wait too long? What if they, do you know what, half the time, I'm like, listen, you don't actually need good counsel, you just need grace. And so whether they give you good counsel or not is actually a secondary issue. The fact that you're submitting and humbling yourself, grace will come. What you're missing is grace. We're so worried sometimes about, well, what if they give us bad advice or what if this or whatever else, or I just don't know. I just don't know if I believe him. I just don't see it that way. And here's the crazy thing is I have to trust people even when I don't see it. This is the hard part, right? Like, like when I come and submit and they say this way, well, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. I don't see it that way, so I don't want to do it. God has given people insight. When I allow people to have oversight over my life, they have insight into my life in a way that I don't. And I have to trust them on them. Fourth thing, when I disconnect from people, just two more and then we're going to let you go. Fourth thing is this, is I disconnect from his voice. You know, one of the main ways God speaks is through people. Again, you can't read scripture and not come away with this. So, so when I don't want to be connected to people, I'm actually disconnecting from one of the main ways God is trying to speak to me. There's many people I run into, they're like, God's just silent to me right now. He's just not talking. I'm like, no, he's talking. He's just speaking through somebody that you're not connected to. No, he's talking. You just don't want to be connected to the individual he put his voice in for you. And, and, and this, is, this is a tough one because, you know, we want, uh, he speaks through people to us. It's not the only way he speaks to us, but it's a big one. And when I disconnect from community, I'm disconnecting from his voice in my life. And, and, and I will say this, many times God's trying to grow us by speaking to us through people, but we don't want to hear it unless it comes in a perfect package. So here's the crazy thing. God's put his, God puts his voice in people that are imperfect. Oh, this is the one I have a problem with. I remember going, there was about a two-month period where I got three, I had three meetings, two phone calls from people outside my church and one staff member inside who just gave me hard feedback that was wrong. I mean, they were, their attitude was wrong. Their information was wrong. Um, and I would, but, but I listened, I didn't defend, I sat and listened, but the problem was on every single one of them. And some of them were just off with a bad attitude. I heard the Lord and some of what they were saying. And I remember getting with the Lord and saying, God, I'm really struggling here because you know, like, why do you keep, because I don't like how it's coming, but I can hear your voice in it. Why do you keep speaking to me in crappy packages? And, and he, he said, he goes, man, I'm giving you a chance to dismiss my voice by throwing it all out or to humble yourself and hear me. 
So, so what happens is like, hey, I'd love to be in community and anybody can speak into my life if they, one, have proven their love for me, two, know how to communicate really well, three, have all the right information, four, have completely disconnected their emotions, five, and, and we pretty much are describing Jesus. <laughs> We're like, well, I mean, you can speak to me if you're Jesus. The problem is, if you're going to hear the voice of God through people, people are messy and don't always get it all together and don't always get it right. And you figure this out when you get married, because um, when you get married, one of the things you find when you get married is it's two people trying to figure out communication and themselves. So like you may, you may have grown up in a home where if you raise your voice, you're like really angry and like, Right. And then you may, or you may have grown up in a home where it's like, if you don't raise your voice, you don't even care. Like you don't even start caring until you raise your voice. You know, and so all of a sudden you get two people together and you're like, oh my gosh, why are you yelling at me right now? I just feel like, like you're, you're like, why are you not yelling? Do you not care? Like, Or there's some people that grew up in a home where nobody talked about anything until all of a sudden it just blew up. It's quiet, 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 quiet. Boom! You know? And so, so sometimes somebody might be in that mode. God wants to speak to you and God wants to give you feedback in your life and all of a sudden nothing, nothing, all of a sudden they come explode on you. And, you, and, and listen, I, well, I'm going to dismiss everything you said because of how you came. Because of how you came, because you don't have all the right information, rather than humbling myself and trying to listen to community around me. He wants to speak to you. He is not being silent. He's just put his voice in people that you got to get connected to. And you have to humble yourself to, that you have to trust more than yourself sometimes. And here's the last thing, and then we're done. Is, is there's, well, there's actually another one we talked about last night, encouragement. But the last one is this, authority. Can I just say that community is the one that sends you with authority, not just on a missions trip, but into new seasons. Listen to this, Paul. This is Paul. Guys, this is Paul. Wrote half the New Testament. Is the the guy we read the most. (laughs) Right? Had massive encounters and revelations from God. Knew Jesus intimately. Listen to this. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul, again this is Paul, for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Now watch this phrase. They sent them away. Next phrase. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. You want to be sent with authority, you've got to be sent by the Holy Spirit. And it actually tied in that these individuals laid hands and sent. It said, so they sent them out, therefore being sent out by the Holy Spirit. A lot of people, you have no authority in the season you're in because nobody sent you. Uh, I'm talking about whatever season is ahead for you. 
Whatever decisions you're making, be sent. It's not just that I'm being sent to the mission field. It's that I want to be sent into seasons of my life. I want to be sent into decisions I make. I want people to come around me because I know when that happens, it's actually the Holy Spirit sending me into those things. So here's my challenge to you, okay? My challenge to you is this, and I think we're hungry for this. This is really what we long for. It's just very countercultural, and it's hard. Guys, community is by far the hardest and messiest thing I've ever done. The amount of times I want to run away from community and just go do my own thing, not allow people into my life. Not allow them into the mess of my life. Not allow them into the areas I'm embarrassed by. Not allow them into the decisions I want to make. Not allow them. But but again and again, what I found is, is that if I can just stay the course in community, grace flows in my life. Wisdom is present in my life. Safety is evident in my life. Authority. His voice is speaking to me. I, I was just with... Well, I was in South Africa with a pastor and just talking to him, and he said a phrase. And when he said the phrase, I knew that was the Lord speaking to me. It's just the craziest thing. I just went out to coffee with him, and he said something, and I thought, that's... And all of a sudden, it was the Lord speaking to me. It's community. Stand up with me. My challenge to you is this. Guys, it's a college town. It's a northeastern town. Let's be radical in our commitment to face the independent things in us and choose the hard road of community. Let's make the deliberate choice that we are going to do community, that we are going to submit to one another, that we are not going to live independent lives all on our own, doing whatever we want to do. Some of you in this room, you're looking back realizing, wow, some decisions I made that didn't work out as I look back now, I realized I didn't actually bring any counsel into them. Some of you are looking right now and your finances are a mess. And you're like, you know what's crazy is? I actually haven't brought anybody into my finances. Some of you, your personal life is a mess. Your marriage is a mess. Listen, we get it, right? Marriage is the hardest thing I've ever done. But, but you've got to, you just recognize, you're like, wow, there are areas of my life where I just have not actually submitted it to community. I don't go to community and get advice. And when I do go to community and get advice, I kind of weigh it. I decide what I want to listen to and what I don't want to listen to. And I think I have made some pretty unsafe decisions because of it. Some of you are wondering why there's not momentum happening in your life. You're confused. You're like, why am I not feeling? Why does it feel like I'm walking upstream in the lazy river rather than having it push me freely downstream? I'm pointed the wrong direction. Because I have pride in my life. Guys, it's it's an independent thing to say I don't need people. I don't need people. I can figure this out on my own. Listen, you need people. As much as I I want to act like I don't need people, I can do this on my own, I just continually come back to like, I really do need people. (laughs) Like, I need people. So, Father, we just pray. Just close your eyes just for a second. I don't want to spend a lot of time repenting on this. But honestly... Right now, if there's areas in your life where you're like, God, man, I've been independent. Just take a moment to say, God, I'm sorry for being independent. Maybe it's not my entire life, but there are some areas that I've just been independent with. God, I just forgive me for this. I don't want to be independent.
I grew up in an independent household, so for me, it just came naturally. I didn't even know. It was like foreign to me. Like this is a foreign, I did not grow up in a home that nurtured this concept. So, you know, you kind of grow up, you do it on your own. And I'm a strong leader, and I'm a capable leader, and I'm a smart leader, so I definitely think I can do it on my own. But Father, we just repent here in Boston, in Cambridge, here in the Northeast. God, we just say, God, forgive us for allowing the culture of this age to define how we live more than the kingdom and the Bible. And can I tell you this, and I'm going to turn this over. You don't have to believe a word coming out of my mouth today, but you do have to go to Scripture to find out what it says. You do have to go to Scripture and say, God, what does your word say about community? And Father, we we want to be the opposite spirit. We want to be a light set on a hill. I mean, this is reality. We want to be a light set on a hill. Therefore, we have to be countercultural in some areas. And then, Father, I pray that you give us the courage to move towards people. As messy, as as embarrassing as it is sometimes, as hard as it is, as resistant as it can be, Lord, we just choose to move towards community.